more than that as a family. And to be able to say that there is something in this world of craziness and instability and insecurity, to say that we have a foundation that will not be moved is, is quite a statement. It's a statement of assurance, a statement of faith, of trust, of acknowledgement that you are God. And despite what happens in this world, despite what happens around us, you never change. And those who rest in you will have safety, will have comfort, will have peace and hope. That's our testimony this morning, Father. That's why we're singing these words. Yes, there are some days when it doesn't feel that way, and maybe some days we feel like we're not living in light of it or we don't believe it as much as we should, and, and that's why we're here too, Lord. Reassure our hearts together and take your word this morning and drive these truths deep into our souls so that when everything else crumbles, our faith stays strong. Speak to us by your Holy Spirit this morning. I pray that he would take the words of Scripture and help us to understand them. In Christ's name, amen. Thanks, folks. You may be seated. <clears throat> As you get older, your interests change. And as I've gotten older, yes, I'm getting older. I'm just flat. I can't say I'm getting older anymore. I just have to say I'm getting old. I am in my 50s, as I get regularly reminded by certain people in my life. And as I've grown old and my interests have started to change, I realize I'm interested a lot more than I used to be in naps. How many people are interested in naps? Every gray hair and a few others raise their hands. I mean, who doesn't like naps? I'll tell you who. Babies and toddlers and little kids don't like naps. That's why God gives babies to young people and not old people like me. I couldn't take it. I remember when I was a kid, I, didn't, I hated naps, I hated bedtime, I fought against it with every fiber in my being, and now I have to tell you the one thing that I am looking forward to most about this day, besides doing this for the next half hour, is what I'm going to do this afternoon after I have my lunch, which is take a nap. I don't know. <laughs> Thank you, Yvonne. I don't know if uh, you guys have ever seen this before, but this is a real thing. I know sometimes when I'm up here and I'm saying these things, you guys think I'm making this up, but I don't make anything up when I'm standing up here, especially these things. I, I, there is something called a nap desk, a nap desk, and a nap desk, you can go Google it, not now, but later, Google it. It's slightly longer than a regular desk, and the whole front and sides are closed in. There's a little knee spot in the middle, you know, when you're sitting at it, when you're actually working. 
But then when you pull your chair away, there's a little part that flips down and you can crawl in there and sleep. Google it later, it's, it's a real thing. Nap desk, thousands sold, I'm sure. There has been a recent study that tells us that teens are happier the more sleep they have. So if you have a cranky teen at your house, and I know a lot of you do because there's 60 or 70 of them running around here on Tuesday nights. You have a cranky teen, they probably need more sleep or less phone time, one or the other. That'll help them be happier. Sleep-deprived people, this is absolutely true, established scientific fact. Sleep-deprived people have a reaction time similar to people who are legally drunk. So if you're driving tired, it's almost as bad as driving drunk. We need rest. But only one in seven adults actually set aside a day a week to get rest, and then most of them work on other things around the house instead of actually resting. There's been a huge spike in injuries for teen athletes, high school athletes. The statistics are five times as many high school athletes get injured as 20 years ago. And surgeons are saying there is one reason for this. There's no off-season. Kids play spring soccer and summer soccer and fall soccer or spring baseball and summer baseball and fall baseball. And the body doesn't have time to recover and that's why it gets injured. Why? Because we are made for rest. We are made for recovery. We are made for sleep. That's how we function best. Now, last week, if you were here, we had a warning from Hebrews. And the warning was this. Don't harden your hearts. It was, it was a warning against unbelief. Now, if you were here, you know that Tim was trying to get some sympathy because he was making me out to be the bad guy because I gave him too many verses to cover last week. I don't want you to feel too bad. You can have some sympathy for him if you would like, but not too much because he's very aware of what we're doing and he's a part of everything that goes on here. So last week, yes, he was bad cop. He had a lot of verses and he had to give you this warning about unbelief. And this week, I do have the opportunity to be good cop and talk to you about rest. So uh, sometime later, he'll get the good section and I'll get the difficult section and it'll all be even. We're going to talk about rest. Remember last week that it was because of unbelief that Israel could not enter the promised land. They didn't get God's rest because they didn't trust that he would do what he said that he would do. So I'm going to start where Tim ended. If you have your Bible, Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 13, I'm going to just read a couple of verses just to get us back on track here. Hebrews 3.13, Tim ended here by saying this, reading this verse, but exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. What is he telling us? He's saying this to us. We must care about each other enough to get in there, to get in there into each other's lives and encourage each other and challenge each other and warn each other. That's why these warnings are here. Warning, watch out for unbelief. 
And we are challenged to warn each other. That's why, as I mentioned earlier, when I was doing the announcements, that's why we have small groups. That's why we build relationships amongst each other. That's why if you are a new person to our fellowship here, I want to get to know you. Others of our folks, we want to get to know you, connect with you. Why? Because we need these relationships to be the context in which we care for each other and challenge each other and warn each other about distrust in God that can creep in and destroy our lives. I look at verse 19 of chapter 3. Tim read this one as well. So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Unbelief is a constant temptation to us here on this earth, and we must help each other fight it off. I want to suggest to you that persevering to the end is a community project. Do you look around occasionally and say, well, I wonder whatever happened to this person. I wonder whatever happened to that. They used to come to church all the time. I thought they really loved the Lord. I thought they had a desire to live. And now we don't, see, we don't even know where they are. Where did they go? It's difficult to persevere to the end. It's difficult to keep going. It's difficult to remain faithful. And the writer here is reminding us that this is a team effort. It's a community project. So what is the good news? There is rest available for us. In Matthew chapter 11 and verse 28, Christ said it this way, Come to me all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you, does anybody know the last word? Rest. I will give you rest. Now let's continue the conversation in Hebrews in chapter 4 and verse 1. It says this, Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. Now, Tim mentioned this last week too. Chapter 3 started with therefore. Now chapter 4 starts with therefore. He is linking these thoughts together from the previous conversations. And this is what I want you to remember as we go through Hebrews over the next several weeks. I want you to understand that this is one letter. This is one conversation. Now, we can't talk about it all in one day, so we're breaking it up over months and months, and so it seems long and drawn out as we seek to understand it, but this is one letter. It's one conversation. Now, we're going to see in these 11 verses, we're going to read over the next few minutes, that he uses the word rest 10 times. Rest means to cease from work. Rest means to stop what you are doing. It means labor and exertions are over. It means freedom from worries or things that disturb you or things that bother you. It doesn't mean freedom from all the hassles of life. It doesn't mean that, that you're not going to have difficulties. You're not going to have worries or stresses. But it means that you're not so easily distracted by them. You're not running in circles. You're not going from one frustration to the next. There's an old African prayer, kind of like a proverb, that I think sums up the meaning of rest here in this passage very well. It says this, Jesus, make my heart sit down. 
You ever had moments like that in your life where you seem to be going from one thing to the other, one stress to the other, one fear, one worry, one anxiety? Jesus, make my heart sit down. That's the rest that he's talking about here. Clearly, we're talking about spiritual rest. Spiritual rest means that for the rest of our lives, in all of eternity, we can trust that God is going to do what he says. It means when you walk out of here and you go like this, smack into all of the things of your life that you're trying to deal with on a regular basis, you can trust Christ. It means a month from now, you will be able to rely upon, to lean upon God and his promises. And it means that for all of eternity, you will be able to do that as well. That's rest. I want you to notice a couple of things here in this first verse before we move along. First of all, I want you to see there is a promise of rest. See that there? There a promise of entering into his rest. We don't have to live our lives in fear. What does that mean? It means as long as the promise remains, there is an opportunity. It's not too late. If you're sitting here and you're saying, I, I don't have that rest. I'm not enjoying that rest in my heart. It's not too late. There is a promise that remains. There is still an opportunity to enjoy his rest. I want you to notice the second thing. It is something to be feared to not have rest in Christ. So just as surely as I can stand here this morning and tell you there is rest, there is rest in Christ, and the opportunity remains, it's not too late, just as surely as I can say that, I have to tell you that it is something to be feared to not have that rest. And to miss the opportunity we should fear not trusting God. Look at verse 2. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. And we're taking this just in little bite-sized chunks at a time so that we can understand it. If we were to rip through the whole 11 verses, it would be hard to follow it all. So let's just stop right here and look at this for a minute and see two aspects of our interaction with the gospel here. The first one is that there is hearing. We have to hear the gospel first. We have to hear this good news about rest. But then there must be believing they can't be just hearing, there has to be believing. That means this, that just because you have a Bible and just because you bring it to church doesn't mean that you have rest. It doesn't mean that you have faith in God. My purpose here this morning is to not make you uncomfortable, is to not make you fearful, but it is to make sure that you understand that there is nothing magical that happens when you walk in those doors. There's nothing magical that happens when you pick up your Bible. There's nothing magical that happens even when you open it or when you sit here and listen to me or Tim. Because there has to be faith. I've had so many conversations with people over the years where when we're talking about spiritual things and we're talking about the gospel, we're talking about whether or not someone knows the Lord and I might ask someone a question about their 
might be a spouse or a friend or a brother or someone like that, do you think they know the Lord? Well, they know more about the Bible than anyone I know. I mean, they can just tell you where everything is. It's not enough. You know who knows the Bible really, really well? Satan. In fact, Satan knows that the Bible is true. He doesn't just know it well, he knows it's true. You ever read Matthew chapter 4? You ever read the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness? Do you know what Satan did when he was trying to tempt Jesus? Do you remember? What did he quote? The Bible. Hearing is not enough. There must be faith. And that was the problem with the Israelites. They heard it. They heard the message, but they didn't believe it. Hearing the gospel does not make you a Christian. Listen to what Jesus said in John chapter 5, verse 39. He said this to the Jews that he was talking to. So you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me so that you would have life. The Jews love to walk around with their scrolls. I know the law. I read the law. I follow the law. But they forgot the law. that scroll wasn't some magical thing that because they picked it up and held it and carried it around, caused them to belong to Christ. They forgot that the scripture pointed them to Jesus. Do you remember, for those of you that were here eight weeks ago when we started the study in the book of Hebrews, and Pastor Tim talk, talked about Hebrews 1.1, God who in many ways and at many different times spoke to his people in the past, has this day spoken to us how? By his own dear son. Jesus is the message what did we just sing? Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. Verse 3. For we who have believed enter that rest, as he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. Now, some of this starts to get a little bit confusing if we don't stay on track here. So let's look at this. God is simply making a promise. No one is going to enjoy my rest unless they believe. There are no exceptions to God's promise. His rest being forgiveness of sin through Christ in heaven ultimately Let's keep going. Verse 4. And he has somewhere, or for he has somewhere, spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. Now what he refers to there in verse 3, and now what he's referring to here in verse 4, something that we just have to explore and talk about for a little bit. If we go all the way back to Genesis, we don't have time to open there and read it, but if we go all the way back, we find Genesis chapter 1, and we find the story of creation. Right? Nod your head if you know what I'm talking about. Okay, it encourages me when I see you move. That, all that talk about naps, I can see that some of you are working on your nap right now. So, uh, And I can see you in, in theater two and three. So theater four, you're off the hook because there's no camera. I don't know what you're doing over there. But these other guys, I can see them. Jesus 
performs the acts of creation, right? He starts with light. Let there be light. And there was light. Let there be land. And he separated the dry land from the oceans. And on and on for six days. Plants, trees, fish, birds, ultimately humans. And after the sixth day, he looked at everything that he had made. And he said it was what? Good. And the very next verse says, And on the seventh day, he rested from his work. Now, God's rest on the seventh day of creation led to the fourth of the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20. And for the Jews, it was very regimented. It was very structured. There were a lot of guidelines that went along with this rest period. It started at sundown of the sixth day of the week, which is Friday, and it lasted until sundown of the seventh day of the week, which is Saturday. Now, the law was very multifaceted. There was a lot of it. You read the book of Leviticus and Deuteronomy. They are full of the law for the Jews. Another thing that they had to do were animal sacrifices. Some of you may be aware of that. We'll talk a lot more about it later in the book of Hebrews. The writer goes on to explain the animal sacrifices and why those are no longer necessary. The animal sacrifices were a picture of Christ's sacrifice that he was going to make on the cross. And the Sabbath which is what they called that rest period from sundown on the sixth day to sundown on the seventh day, was a picture of the true rest in Christ that salvation would bring. When they went to the altar and offered that lamb, if you've ever read any of the Old Testament or if you're familiar with it, and, and continually they were going to the altar, sacrificing a lamb, the, the priest would kill the lamb, and they would let the blood run down over the altar, and then they would burn it and offer it as a sacrifice. That didn't really forgive their sin. It was an act of obedience in faith that one day Christ, in his sacrifice, would pay for their sin. It was a symbol of Christ's sacrifice. And the Sabbath rest was a symbol of the rest that they would ultimately have in Jesus Christ later. What you need to understand is that the Jews practiced the Sabbath for centuries, for thousands of years. But do you know what? They didn't really have rest. They didn't really have rest. They had a little bit of physical rest, but guess what they had to do at the end of the next week? So they had the rest. Uh, everybody stayed in their homes, and they weren't allowed to cook, and they weren't allowed to go anywhere, and they weren't allowed to work, and they had this physical rest, and, and they did that all day, and then sundown of the seventh day, then the Sabbath was over, and they could resume their activities. But guess what they had to do the next week? They had to do it all again. Okay, here we go again. Sundown, sixth day. Can't go out, can't cook, can't work. Every week, over and over and over. Why? Because it didn't truly provide them rest. It was a symbol of the rest that Christ would give. Now what the writer is telling us here is that in Christ, the Sabbath has found its fulfillment. So just like when we build our new building... Out on High Street, when we finish that, we're not planning to put a big altar in the front so we can offer animal sacrifices. We don't need to do that anymore because that symbol has been fulfilled. 
the same way the Sabbath symbol has been fulfilled. No more sacrifices, no more Sabbath. The true rest, which is Christ, has come, and the symbol is no longer necessary. This is why Paul says this in Colossians 2, 16 and 17. Let me read it for you. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Now, I suppose if you wanted to, you could build an altar by your house and you could go to a farm and you could buy a lamb and you could sacrifice it on that altar. But why would you do that? It's not necessary. Because Christ has covered your sin. And in the same way, you could say, I'm going to go home on the sixth day and I'm, gonna, I'm not going to work and I'm not going to cook and I'm not going to leave my house. And, but why would you do that? Christ has given you rest. Why would we hold on to the shadow when we have the substance? Imagine the person that you love most in your entire life, whoever that is, a spouse, a child, a sibling, a friend, the person you, you love absolutely the most. You just, you can't imagine your life without this person. And then imagine that they go away for a few days and you haven't seen them and you're longing to see them. You can't wait till they come back so that you can see them. And they drive back into the driveway when they come home after several days away. You haven't seen them. You haven't talked to them. You haven't hugged them. Nothing. And they drive in and it's a beautiful sunny day and they get out of the car and the sun is shining on them and you see them standing standing there and their shadow is cast up on the wall of the house, do you walk over to the shadow or do you walk over to the person? I don't want to hug a shadow. I want to hug that person. That's the reality. And that's what the writer to the Hebrews is telling us. Stay, just don't stop hugging shadows. You get the real thing here. It's Jesus Christ. Verse 5. And again in this passage he said, they shall not enter my rest, since therefore it remains for some to enter it. And those who formerly received the good news failed to enter it because of disobedience. Again he appoints a certain day. Today, saying through David so long afterward, in the words already quoted, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Again, it's kind of tongue twistery if we don't keep track of what's going on here, but he's going back and, and quoting again from Psalm 95, which Tim referred to last week. Because of Israel's unbelief, they refused to trust God. But the good news for us is that rest remains. Now, not everyone will, but to all who believe, there is rest. Listen to this verse from Matthew 7, verse 13. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter it are, are by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Why is it so hard? Why is it so hard for people to go the way that God wants them to go because you have to believe. You have to believe that he is right and guess what? That means you are wrong. 
I don't want to go God's way. I want to go my way. That's really the recurring theme of our entire culture right now, isn't it? If you're paying attention. I don't want to go God's way. I want to go my way. I want to do what I want. That's why the gate seems so narrow. It may be narrow, my friends, but I want you to understand this. It is perfectly wide enough for anyone to enter who believes. But it has to be God's way. Verse 8. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of a day later on. Of course, the rest of the story is that Israel did go in. After their unbelief, they did go in. The unbelieving generation died off, but the next generation believed, and they entered into what God had promised. They, they crossed the Jordan, they defeated Jericho, they defeated all the armies, and they took it, they possessed the land, and they had physical rest, but they didn't have true rest. It was an ultimate rest. They still had to offer sacrifices. They still had to observe the Sabbath. And we know that true rest is spiritual. That's why he says in the verse, God spoke of another day. Look at verse 9. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. There's another kind of Sabbath. That's what he's saying. Now why is he talking about all this Jewish stuff? <laughs> well, he's writing to Jews. That's why. It's a little confusing for us. But there's another kind of Sabbath. It's not the old Sabbath. The old Sabbath was Moses saying in Exodus chapter 31, if you don't observe the Sabbath, you'll be cut off. That was a euphemism for dead. That's how serious the Sabbath was. And yet Paul in Colossians 2 and Romans 14 said, the day doesn't matter anymore. It doesn't matter. Sabbath rest for God's people is rest from our work of seeking to please God. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, if you are saved, the work is done. It's done. No more Sabbath, no more sacrifice. Even so, he alludes to the fact that there is even greater rest coming later. I don't know about you, but even though I enjoy the rest that I have in Christ, the fact that I'm not trying to prove myself to Christ to earn my salvation, it's still, you know, kind of a fatiguing life in many ways, right? There is an even greater rest that's coming later in heaven. Verse 11. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. The word strive there means to be diligent. It means to move quickly. The implication is to apply yourself. There is an urgency to this. Move quickly to secure your rest in Christ. The message for us is this, my friends. Fear unbelief. And be grateful that rest is available. I don't know if you've ever thought about it this way, but the entire purpose of the Bible, the whole story, the entire working of God throughout human history is, 
has one theme, and that is bringing men and women and children back to rest in God. You should fear missing that rest. Now, for the first three and a half chapters of Hebrews, for eight weeks now, you've heard the gospel every week. And it culminates here. You've heard about the fact that Jesus Christ came to this earth to save sinners like us. That only by admission of our sin and guilt, recognition of the fact that we can't save ourselves, and trust that Christ died to save us and provide our salvation, we can be saved. It culminates here in the fact that if you don't have a relationship with Christ, today is the day. Do not wait. There is a rest that remains. That's what he said. As long as it's called today. Do you know why he said that? Because tomorrow is not guaranteed, right? I don't know if there's going to be another chance. I hope there are many, many more chances for people to trust Jesus Christ, but I don't know if there will be. In Matthew 16, verse 18, Christ said this, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That's a promise. Christ is building his church. That's not negotiable. It is going to happen. The question is, are you a part of it? That's the only thing that's in doubt in regard to that statement. If you have that relationship, if you are secure in Christ, then rest Rest in the knowledge that you are his and trust him. The Christian life is day by day, hour by hour, trusting in the provision of God. The power of God to care for us, to guide us, and to one day bring us into a place of ultimate holiness and joy that will last for eternity. I'm going to finish this message the way I started it. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. Jesus said, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you, what? Rest. My friends, I want you to sing this prayer with us as we close. We're waiting. We're trusting for the rest that only Christ can give. Father, what a blessing to be here together today in this place connected by Christ bound together by grace we have many of us perhaps most of us that are here this morning have experienced the grace of Jesus Christ cleanses our heart from sin secures our hope and our rest and the promise of a future in your presence for eternity. Thank you for that. We need this. We need to be together. We need to be in the same place to remind each other that we're not out here alone. We're not the only ones, despite what seems to be going on in our world around us. We're not the only ones who want to stand for truth, have a desire to live according to the principles of your word. 
persevering to the end is a community effort. I pray that we would warn each other, challenge each other, comfort each other, remind each other of what is true and right. And Father, there is still, even in this, the hint of a warning against unbelief. It is today. There is opportunity. It's not too late, but one day it will be. And I pray your convicting power of the Spirit in the hearts of those who do not have this rest, who do not have a relationship with Christ, that they might understand that although the gate is narrow, it's only God's way. It's wide enough for them if they will only believe. Father, as we leave here, I pray that we would take with them, with us, the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ into this community, into our homes, into our neighborhoods, our schools, everywhere we go, that we would be a light of the gospel of grace to those who need it. Thank you for our privilege to be together and worship. We ask that you will just give us strength as we go out to do your work. In Christ's name, amen. Thanks, folks. I hope you have a great week.